Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Genesis 9, 1-17, God's covenant with Noah. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I'll demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is a sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the gift that is your word. Your word revealed to us, given to us by your grace, by your mercy, so that we don't live in darkness, but we get to hear you speak to us. We hear your promises so wonderfully made to us. So, Lord, help us by your spirit to hear these words today and to allow them to transform our hearts from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, within three minutes, I knew that I was in for a long couple of hours. You see, I had just started watching the movie Batman and Robin. Uh, Next slide, please. And uh, I don't know if anyone's seen this movie, but boy, was this a terrible movie. It's one of those movies, you know, that's so bad, it's almost good again. The acting was terrible, all the lines were super cheesy, the characters were over the top, Um, the plot was incoherent, it was obviously a movie made just to sell toys. And I found out later that it wasn't just me. 
because the entire cast of this movie later came out to apologize for the existence of this film. Uh, from George Clooney to Arnold Schwarzenegger, even the director, Joel Schumacher, came out in interviews to say sorry. Uh, in one interview, next slide, George Clooney even said that after the movie came out, he said to himself, I've done it. I've killed Batman. And it looked like he was right, right? Fans of the original comic felt disrespected. They were angry. Uh, Schumacher never went on to direct another Batman movie again. The franchise looked dead. But then, six years later, in 2003, there was an announcement of a new Batman movie. Maybe there was hope after all. But the thing is, they weren't just going to pick up where the last movie left off. Director Christopher Nolan was going to call the movie Batman Begins. Back to the beginning, start with a blank canvas. It seemed like that was the only hope that the franchise had, right? Not try to fix the mess of the last movie uh, that had left the franchise, but to ditch it all together, start from scratch. And it worked. Uh, my guess is that you all know how successful this movie and the whole trilogy of movies that came afterwards became. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we could just so easily uh, wipe the slate clean when things don't go our way? We can just uh, start from scratch at certain points in our lives. Hit the undo button. And I wonder if you've had any experience which you wish you could just wipe the slate clean as if it never happened, right? At that moment when you opened your mouth a bit too hastily in front of someone you were so longing to impress. At that moment when you get your grades back and you wish you hadn't procrastinated until the night before. My life would be so much better. I would be set if I could go back and, and fix things, if I could start all over again. Wipe it all clean. Erase the mistakes of my past. Reboot our lives. Well, in today's passage, creation looks like it gets some sort of reboot of sorts, right? It's a new beginning. See, in the previous chapters, we saw that the whole world had become corrupt with sin, full of violence. And so God puts an end to it all. God sends this massive flood over the earth. It's like as if he's pick, clicking the undo button repeatedly. Uh, it's like you're reading Genesis 1 in reverse. As the water levels rise, covering the tops of the highest mountains, God removes the distinction between dry land and the seas that he made in Genesis 1. And as the waters keep rising, all of the land animals of every kind, all of the birds of the air of every kind, they're wiped out as well. Even the image bearers of God, wiped out but for a single family. See, if you compare where Genesis 7 leaves us, it's as if the world is once again in a state as if God had never bothered to speak it into existence in the first place. Formless, lifeless, dead. But then, it looks like God is now starting from scratch again. Because in chapter 8, God remembers Noah and his ark from that point onwards. It's like God stops rewinding the tape of Genesis 1 and then presses play again. See, we see the mountaintops begin to appear before our eyes. The land once again distinct from the seas. The creation is unfolding before our very eyes again. And we see this in the passage that we, we just read this morning. Notice all the links to Genesis 1. Verse 1. We see a blessing to multiply and fill the earth. 
Verse 2, man is commanded to rule over all creation. Verse 3, there is this abundant provision of food given to humanity. Verse 6, there's a reference to man being made in the image of God. The cosmic slate has been wiped clean, creation purified, filth washed away. It's as if chapters 1 to 8 has never happened. Noah has become Adam 2.0. The world is now no longer filled with those people whose thoughts are just evil all of the time, right? Or is it? Because if we look closely at this passage, something isn't quite right with this creation 2.0, right? I mean, for starters, in Eden, Adam was told not to eat from one tree. And yet, we, yes, we also get a prohibition for Noah, but this prohibition is much darker, isn't it? It's against the shedding of human blood, verse 6. And it's against the misuse and disrespect for the life of all creatures as well, verse 4. And so it seems that human violence, that inclination of the human heart to pour out envy, hatred, and even murder as well, it's still there. It looks like nothing has changed in this new creation. So much so that God has to explicitly demand that there must not be any shedding of blood. But there's also a difference in what God gives his people as food as well. In the garden, we're told God gave all kinds of trees which were good for Adam and Eve for, to eat as food. But now, God is saying that they can eat animals as well. Now, I don't want to get bogged down into the speculation about whether pre-flood people ate meat or not. It's actually a really big debate, and it's quite speculative. But I just want to compare these two pictures between Genesis 1 and 2 and what we have here in Genesis 9. Because what we do know is that this new world that Noah is part of, or well, animal death is just part of it. It's natural. And whatever you might think about animal death before the flood, well, it just wasn't mentioned, or at least in the Garden of Eden anyway. Death is now a given in this new world. And so perhaps this wasn't that clean slate that we were hoping for. Because sin and corruption and death looks like it's still very much part of this new creation. And so if that is the case, then what hope do we have for this new creation? Right? If that perfect creation of Genesis 1 and 2 so quickly descended to a place where God had to wipe it all out, then what chance will this creation have? Well, there is hope. There is hope for this new creation. And the second half of this passage gives us that answer. Verses 10 to 11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. See, there is hope because of God. God says, I will not send another cosmic flood. The earth will not be completely destroyed by water again. The threat of the world returning to nothingness, uselessness, as if it never happened, it won't happen again. Now, when God makes a promise, then that's pretty secure, isn't it? But God isn't done yet. Because he doesn't just make a promise. God formalizes it. He makes it official. It somehow becomes legally binding because over and over again we see God is making a covenant here with Noah 
verse 12. This is a sign of the covenant I am making between me and you, a covenant for all generations. Verse 13, it will be the sign of the covenant. Verse 15, I will remember my covenant between me and you. Verse 16, I will remember it, the everlasting covenant. Verse 17, so God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established. See, what God could have simply said, I won't destroy life again with a flood. He could have just said that. But instead, he repeats forcefully over and over again. It's like he is taking this document and all over the place, he's stamping his signature all over the document. I will sign this. It is personally, it is legally binding. But if God is signing a legal document with Noah here, then there's some aspects of this legal document that make it a bit odd. Uh, the first thing that's odd here is that this covenant that God is putting into place, this agreement that he is signing with Noah, well, it's all on God. Did you notice how many times uh, God refers to himself in this covenant? Uh, verse 9, I now establish. Verse 11, I establish. Verse 12, the covenant I am making, I have set my rainbow. Whenever I bring, I will remember. Whenever the rainbow appears, I will see it and I will remember. See, God is the sole initiator of this covenant. God is the only one who has any sort of responsibility. God is the only one who will bring out the fulfillment of this covenant. It's all God. I love how one scholar puts it. See, Noah and his family, they simply just stand there dumbstruck in silence as they receive God's wonderful promises. Humanity can contribute nothing in securing and maintaining this contract. It's all God. But the second odd thing about this contract between God and Noah is that, well, it's not just for Noah. Over and over again, God stresses that this is a covenant for all creation. Verse 9, it is with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature as well. Birds, livestock, wild animals, every living creature on earth. Never again, verse 11, will all life be destroyed. And we get it three more times, again, verse 15, 16, and 17. And if you look at all these uh, no, uh, references to all creation, do you notice how all the wording is slightly different? It's as if God is saying, oh, you didn't understand what I meant by all living creatures? Let me put it another way. All life on earth. No, still don't get it? Okay, all the birds, all the livestock, all... See, this isn't just for Noah and his family. Not even just for humanity itself all life, all creation. And if that's not enough, then there's more, because it's not just all life currently in existence in Noah's day, but it's for all time. The phrase never again is repeated three times, twice in verse 11, again in verse 15. And this covenant is for all generations to come, verse 12. It's called an everlasting covenant, verse 16. This legal contract has no expiration date. God is committed to his creation, all of it, for all time. But thirdly, perhaps the most striking feature of this promise is that God appoints a sign, a reminder for the covenant that he is making. God has set, he has put his bow in his clouds. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that Genesis 9 is the first appearance of a rainbow, but now 
what I'm thinking is happening here is that this naturally occurring phenomenon has been appointed as the sign, the pointer, that God has made this covenant with all the earth. And some say this sign is appropriate because uh, this bow which now hangs in the sky might be a, a reference to God hanging up his war bow, uh, a symbol of him laying down his hostility towards sinful humanity. Or maybe this rainbow, this dome-shaped thing is supposed to evoke the firmament that we read about in Genesis 1, right? This firmament is this invisible dome which the ancient world understood as being put there to keep the heavenly waters from, from drowning and flooding the earth below. Maybe that's what this uh, rainbow is supposed to represent. That's a possibility. But what we know for certain is why this bow is put there. What, what's it there for? Verse 14 to 15. This bow is there to remind God. To remind God, as if God needs a reminder. I mean, first, God makes a promise. Not just any promise. He forms a legally binding covenant with Noah. A covenant that he himself alone is liable to and is able to uphold. And now God sets a sign, a reminder for himself to keep this covenant. Can you see how God is just putting layer upon layer of security here? God leaves Noah, or anyone hearing these words, no room for doubt as to whether or not God will keep his promise. And so as surely as this beautiful sign is guaranteed to appear in the skies for all to see after a rainstorm, as surely as what we now call this natural phenomenon will repeatedly show up after each rainfall, is how surely God will continue to remember his promise. This future hope is absolutely secure. It's guaranteed. And you might be asking, why is there such an emphasis here? Why does God need to stress that it's purely him that is involved, that is universal, that it needs to be signed with a seal? With a, uh, sealed with a sign. Why is this covenant so important? A couple of years ago, uh, a presenter of this science show that I like watching was interviewed, and he was asked this question. Uh, if you could travel back in time to whatever period of history, which century would you go back to? Uh, he thought for a moment, and he answered, actually, I don't want to go back in time. I want to go far into the future and see how much more we as a, a civilization have accomplished. Look at just the progress we've made in the last couple of decades. Uh, the phone in our hands can outperform the supercomputer of 20 years ago. Look at the number of medical conditions that we've overcome within this generation. Look at the internet. Look what, what you can do with a single click of a button. I want to go far into the future. How many more problems today? that we face today will be solved in 50, 100, 200 years from now. And as I was listening to him, I got, I got excited. I was like, yeah, I would love to see where we are in, in 50, 100, 20, 200 years time as well. I want to see where, what our ingenuity is going to bring us to in that time. But it doesn't take too long for us to pause and to look around and be reminded at the darker side to progress, right? Uh, and so when you see this symbol, instead of thinking about the potential for unlimited sustainable energy, I'm guessing you probably have images of what happens when nuclear power is abused, weaponized, mishandled, uh, causing untold devastation and horror. Uh, even something as good as the advances in medical treatment can be monopolized, 
right? Good life-saving treatments can have their supply deliberately restricted, commercially manipulated to boost someone's personal wealth at the expense of those who actually need it. The internet, filled with stories of bullying, the exploitation of the weak and the helpless. And we can just go on and on all day. See, all this highlights not just the fact that we lack the capacity to, to, and the capability to make our world a perfect place, but more crucially, we lack the capacity to address the more serious problem, the condition of our hearts being inclined towards evil. We lack the capacity to live lives that can stave off the downward spiral which brought about the flood in the first place. And we just need to look at the next few verses that we didn't read today to find out. In verses 21 to 22, as we see that Noah, this righteous man, he lays there naked and drunk from wine. We see his son Ham come into his tent and brag about his nakedness to his brother, publicly humiliating his father. And before the chapter ends, we get a repeat of Genesis 3. The order of creation has been overturned again. Relationships completely flipped around. Within a few verses, this righteous Noah ends up cursing his own son. The downward spiral of sin has already begun. And so it's obvious why we need such a strong guarantee from God, isn't it? If it was up to us, we'd have absolutely no hope at all. And so this is a guarantee that no matter how sinful, how rebellious, how repulsive humanity becomes, God will not destroy the world with another flood returning the world to this unformed chaos that it started as. No matter how much our hearts, how much our idolatry grieve and anger the God who so lovingly created us, God will continue to bring his creation to his intended goal. We need this total assurance for the future of our world, don't we? But as good as this promise is, it's not enough by itself, is it? Because if our sinful hearts are not dealt with, if sin is not removed, if God's righteous anger is not turned aside, then this promise simply means that evil will continue forever. And so, of course, it's only at the cross. As Jesus offers himself as the sacrifice to deal with sin, to remove sin from humanity, it's only in the resurrection of the perfect image of God, only in the defeat of death itself, and it's only in the coming of the Holy Spirit giving us new hearts, hearts that are able to follow God, to worship God purely. It's only in the complete work of Christ that the final piece of the puzzle is laid down, completing that wonderful picture of God's grace, of God's commitment to his wayward creation. And so even though ultimately this world will be renewed once again, right, a new heaven and new earth, it won't be God simply destroying everything to start from scratch again. This will be a new creation that is perfected. Sinful humanity is restored to perfection. Sin and death completely dealt with, never to rear its ugly head again. God dwelling face to face with man once again. That's the climax of the whole Bible. But it all starts here in Genesis 9, isn't it? Because right here is that very first piece of the puzzle for God's plan for creation. This is the foundation for all further covenants to come. If we can't be sure that God won't rightfully 
and justly wipe out all of creation again, then we can forget Abraham being a blessing to all nations. We can forget the promises of the ultimate son of David coming who would rule in righteousness forever. We can forget the hope of sin being dealt with through the atoning blood of the Son of God. It all starts here. It all rests upon this foundational promise that God will not give us what we deserve. God will not completely destroy all life because of sin. What does this mean for us today? Well, first and foremost, maybe obviously, this ought to remind us of our sins, shouldn't it? Every time we see the sign of the covenant, uh, it's raining today, so hopefully the rainbow will appear. It's not just a pretty sign, as beautiful as it is. But every time we see the rainbow, we are to be reminded that God did not choose to give us what we deserved. We shouldn't be sitting here right now. We shouldn't have been given a second chance. The world should have ended then and there with a flood and stayed that way long ago. Now, I don't know about you, sometimes I come across these uh, Facebook posts by Christians who are really angry that the rainbow has been hijacked by the LBGTI community. Um, I read this, all these uh, complaints about how, how much God must hate them for doing this and pointing out their sinful behavior, in some cases not being very subtle in the disgust for those other people. But having read Genesis 9, shouldn't a proper understanding of what the rainbow means, shouldn't that turn our attention to our own sinfulness? Shouldn't we look at the rainbow and be reminded that the judgment that was withheld was for us. It's not for other people. Don't worry about other people. It was for us. We are the recipients of mercy. We were the ones that were disgusting before God's eyes, and yet God gave us these wonderful promises. We were God's enemies. We were those who were disobedient. We were those who wanted to have nothing to do with God, and it's only because of God's kindness and his mercy that we can now claim to be right with God. When we see the rainbow, Let's be reminded of what we deserved and what we didn't receive. But secondly, this passage also gives us hope in a world that seems to be spiraling out of control, right? Uh, just as was mentioned many times this morning, we've got so many things to be worried about. Whether it be yeah, interest rates, as you guys mentioned before, what's going on in Ukraine, and just thinking, how did, how did it escalate to that so quickly out of nowhere? When we look at the society even, so-called developed civilized countries are, are more divided than ever. With, with what's happening with democratic uh, societies, as good as democracy is, but we can see it fracturing. That's not going to be the solution to us living in a perfect world. Discrimination and intolerance seems to be the air that we breathe today. And when we see the world around us becoming more and more antagonistic towards God, God's word, his commandment, how, how hostile they are towards God's people. And maybe we might be tempted to feel despair over the state of the world that we live in. We might lose hope. We might long for centuries ago when, when God's word was uh, held up in honor, maybe. Well, having read Genesis 9, take heart, because God doesn't need a perfect world to carry out his purposes for it. This mess that we are in is exactly how God will accomplish his perfect plan. God is committed to it. The rainbow reminds us of that. 
And the cross has confirmed that commitment to us. Don't lose hope. Don't despair. But lastly, I think we can bring it a bit closer to home as well. Because for us personally, we need to trust God to bring us perfection as well. Doesn't the gospel so wonderfully remind us that being perfected is not based on our own efforts? Because I, can know, I, I know I can despair often of my own personal failures as well. Often I can have a shocker of a week when I stuff up big time in the relationships with those around me, my family, those who I'm supposed to be setting an example for as a pastor. When my sin is exposed before my eyes again and again and all I wish was to be able to go back in time and wipe it all away, uh, I wish I could have a second chance to do it better. Well, the thing is, we, we can't do that. We can't just put our heads down and, and try to do better, uh, reach perfection by our own efforts to start again. No, we look, need to look at the rainbow and see that it is God, it is His righteousness, His faithfulness, His promises which will bring about this perfection in the lives of those around me and, of course, in myself as well. And so, yes, we do work hard, right? God's Spirit uh, is there to allow us to work hard, to, to live, to give our lives and walk with Him in a way that pleases Him. And that's not going to be a walk in the park. But it is the rainbow, that first promise, that first piece of the puzzle which paves the way for us to stand righteous before God. It is the rainbow that guarantees that even my sin cannot thwart his plan and his purposes. And so I need to turn to God. We need to turn to God to trust him for a way forward. And it's something we can all do, isn't it? Each time we see the rainbow, be reminded that God is reminded that he is completely committed to his creation. And so let us put our trust in God, who has completely guaranteed our future hope. Let's pray. Father God, as we read Genesis 9, we can't comprehend why you would allow sin to continue that you haven't wiped us away the moment that we rebelled against you, that you would put up with it, and that you were a God who even sacrifices your own son in order to deal with our problem of sin. But Lord, help us to see your promises. Help us to truly trust that you are committed to your creation. All the layers of guarantee that we read here and help us to truly trust in you and allow that to be the motivation for us to transform our lives and to live to please you because we have already received these wonderful promises from you that guarantees our future. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.